Welcome to Wisconsin DNR's Wild Wisconsin Off the Record Podcast. Information straight from the source. Welcome back to another episode of Wild Wisconsin Off the Record. I'm your host, DNR's Digital Media Coordinator, Katie Grant. Back in July, the Wisconsin DNR hosted wildlife experts from a number of Midwest states to collaborate on how to slow the spread of chronic wasting disease, or CWD. Also on hand at the meeting was DNR Secretary-designee Preston Cole. I caught up with him in between sessions. Well, certainly um, it's unprecedented. It's another example of the Wisconsin DNR shepherding goodwill amongst our neighbors uh, around the Great Lakes to assist all of us with some of the best management practices and research on the ground that's currently being conducted so that we all can use it for the benefit of the herd within our states. That said, we know that CWD will not follow jurisdictional government lines, that we have to act as a region and not as states. This group today uh, uh, coalesced around that notion that we're in this together. That in and of itself is a monumental movement in the right direction. So as we work through recommendations and forward these recommendations on to other regions of the country that they too will be undertaking this uh, experiment, this relationship management piece, I'm happy to say that it leaves us in feeling really good and warm bellies and, and big hearts as to uh, these professionals making their way to Wisconsin uh, for the mere effort of the protection of the Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio, Iowa deer herds as well. Is really is what they're saying. There's one herd when it comes to server deer populations because they move. So I'm excited. I'm I, again, my my heart is full having watched these professionals deliberate today. Chronic wasting disease is an always fatal infectious nervous system disease of deer, moose, and elk. Here in Wisconsin, the DNR began monitoring the state's wild white-tailed deer population for CWD in 1999. The first positives were discovered here in 2002. Since then, we've processed over 220,000 samples from hunters here in the state. We're also beginning research that could change the way this disease is managed around the globe. To learn a bit more about that research and how it may impact the future of deer and deer hunting here in Wisconsin, I sat down with Tammy Ryan, DNR's Acting Director of the Bureau of Wildlife Management, and Dan Storm, DNR's Elk and Deer Research Scientist. So sit back and listen in. So I am currently the Acting Director for the Bureau of Wildlife Management. I've been doing this gig for about three months now. And then prior to that, I spent the prior 10 years as the Wildlife Health Section Chief. Um, certainly in that capacity, the, in the Wildlife Health Program, it's all things related to chronic wasting disease, whether it's doing the conducting the surveillance of the deer herd, uh, identifying the locations where hunters can have their deer sampled, how the deer are sampled, getting the sample tests, um, getting the test results made available, and just anything you can think of related to chronic wasting disease, there's a wildlife health um, a component to it for sure. All right. Dan? Yeah, and I'm the deer research scientist for the, de the department. I head up all the deer research projects that we conduct um, in the state, 
projects with a, an aim for improving deer management in the state, um, giving information to our wildlife managers, and then I also do a lot of consulting on, on deer management issues as well. All right. I'm curious, what got each of you interested in studying the health of deer in Wisconsin? Well, for me, it was a, a personal um, experience in that back in 2002, when CWD was first detected in south, <coughs> excuse me, in the southeastern part of the state, I was currently serving as an area wildlife supervisor in that part of the state. So it landed basically right on my lap, and uh, we had uh, an urgent response to that effort, and it's obviously a significant concern when CWD was first detected earlier that same year over in the Mount Horeb area, it was not welcome news. It was the first time CWD had been detected in the wild, um, in wild deer east of the Mississippi River. So it was a big deal and it hit us hard and it was all hands on deck. We need to do something about this and we need, need to do something about this now. What about for you? Yeah, so for me, when, when CWD was discovered in Wisconsin, I was in college at the time. And so it just became almost overnight this huge, huge deal. Um, and eventually got my PhD studying various aspects of chronic wasting disease in Wisconsin. And basically, you know, as a, someone who's into wildlife ecology and conservation, anything that is going to threaten the, the, the sustainability and health of a wildlife population um, is of interest and in me having a just a particular uh, professional and personal interest in in large large mammals like deer and having chronic wasting disease be here in um, being probably the the number one factor influencing you know of, ma of management concern for deer I mean it's just sort of a natural a natural thing to be focused on mm -hmm. yeah so Dan you work really more on the research side of it. What are we currently doing to better understand and manage CWD here in Wisconsin? Sure, so by my count, we've got six active um, research projects in the department um, related to CWD. So I'll just try to give you a quick rundown yeah. on those. So one is the, the, the first project and the project that's um, the active project that's been going on the longest is what we call the Southwest Chronic Wasting Disease Deer and Predator Study. And that's a, a study focusing on the impact, potential impact of chronic wasting disease on deer survival um, and then ultimately on deer population growth in, in southwest Wisconsin. So this is a giant field project. Um, we can talk about that more in depth in a bit. But that's the number one project. Um, then another project that's, that's just getting underway is what we call the Prion um, Assay Project. <clears throat> this is in partnership with um, some researchers at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So we've got good ways of detecting prions in the tissues that we normally deal with in deer, lymph nodes and, and brain tissue. But we want to be able to um, have, there's these next generation detection methods that are out there that have the promise um, of detecting prions in much smaller amounts. So you could potentially um, detect prions in tissue that's much more accessible, like skin, blood, even feces, that sort of thing. And so what we're doing now is we're partnering with these, these researchers at the at University of Wisconsin to sort of help them um, develop, refine, and test these methods so that we can, again, have these more accessible, you know, cheaper um, mm -hmm. samples to, to test. 
Related to that is another project we call the Prion and Soils Project, partnering with the same folks at UW-Madison. Um, uh, UW Similarly, um, using these advancements in prion detection to be able to, de to detect prions readily in soil, um, because CWD, um, the environmental contamination of, of CWD is a, is a big issue. Prions being um, st staying in the soil and remaining infective is a big deal. So being able to detect prions in the soil um, readily is important and that's what we're working towards. It's also another aspect of that project is to actually go out there then and, and test soil, um, soil samples that have been sort of known to be contaminated. And we've got okay. um, soils that were archived like six years ago, I want to say, um, following the discovery of chronic wasting disease in a captive service facility. Um, that area was remediated and soil samples were taken at the time. So the question is, um, how long does the, do the prions last and do, can they remain infective um, right. in that soils over that length of time? And so uh, once these methods are refined, um, looking at that. Um, the next project is what we call the CWD forecasting project. And so We've got really good surveillance data, meaning surveillance data, meaning um, the hunter harvested deer, where and when, and what age and sex these deer are, and whether they are um, CWD positive or not, right? So that data allows us to, allows these researchers to look at the spread of CWD across the landscape and the growth in any one particular spot. And what they've found so far is, um, that the disease spreads more quickly in some areas and more slowly in other areas okay. and, and grows in a particular spot faster in some areas than other areas. Um, and, and I should mention this is in partnership with um, statisticians at UW-Madison, but also at the USGS, USGS National Wildlife Health Center. And so what we're working with, with these folks on is trying to identify the landscape features that can, that can either slow or uh, facilitate the spread of CWD. That the cool thing about that is not only is it help us just understand the state of the disease and how it operates in landscape, but if you can imagine um, optimizing our surveillance. So, if we have an area where the disease is more likely to spread than another area, you might want to choose to look more closely at the area where it's more likely to spread to. So, it should help us not only understand. Um, where the disease is going to spread to, but maybe optimize some of our surveillance. And the information from that, it really, you're getting from hunters who submit their deer for sampling, that's, right? That's exactly what that, all that is just purely hunter submitted okay. data. Yeah, that data is um, absolutely critical for all of this. So um, another, another project is a composting project. So again, I mentioned how um, prions have this ability to survive, so to speak, in the environment. And we have this big issue in this state of of what do you do when you've got a positive deer carcass, a hunter has one, what, what, what should they be doing with these things? Right. Um, and, what, and so there's the possibility that actually composting could denature prions, um, make them so they're no longer infective. We're partnering um, with researcher at um, UW-Madison and another researcher at UW-Stevens Point to carry out this composting project. So we've got positive deer, um, composting them, and then the effluent essentially that comes from those composted deer carcasses is going to be tested for the presence of prions and to see how effective that is. Very cool. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it has potentially wide application for how we deal with carcasses in the state. So it's, yeah. it's very um, potentially important, very impactful. And then lastly, um, a project that's being conducted by our social scientists in, in the department are about um, hunter perceptions and behaviors related to CWD. So um, in the early days of CWD, there was a lot of there was a lot of work on the human dimension side of chronic wasting disease and chronic wasting disease management. Um, and, and in many ways, this is an update. So how are, you know, how do hunters <clears throat> perceive the risks of CWD and the importance of managing it and the importance of the disease to the deer population, that sort of thing. So um, it's an important look at, um, at how hunters and other folks are, are viewing the disease. And of course, we can't, we can't manage wildlife without people. And so it's very un- important to understand the people in that regard. I think it's very cool that we have this many projects happening right here in Wisconsin. Um, it, it really shows that, you know, this is something that we care about and, and we're trying to make strides towards. Now we've done a lot of, col- a lot more collaborating recently with other states. We had the um, collaboration meeting in July from maybe a super high out perspective what other work is being done by other states that we might benefit from that you know about? Yeah, sure. So there's um, a couple in particular that that I'd mention. One is um, happening in Minnesota. The other is in Michigan. They Each of those states has outbreaks of their own that they're dealing with. And they're both um, doing what I would call a pretty similar project to our Southwest CWD project where um, they're collaring a bunch of deer as we are. Like I said, we'll talk about our project more in a bit, but so they're putting collars on deer um, to see, especially what their movements are and dispersal, dispersal behaviors are, um, to see, just to help them answer questions about the disease spread and that sort of thing. And so we're um, continually in touch with those researchers. We've had uh, meetings about that, trying to um, see what sort of data sharing um, and standardization of methodology we can use. But um, those are projects that, you know, they're going to help us. They're going to inform us. We're going to, our data is going to inform what they learn and, and vice versa. Very cool. And those, if I could add, those yeah. two states are also doing some uh, research on the, similar to the assay work that Dan referenced, you know, looking at other methodologies or testing methods that could potentially be utilized in the future and even like in the field by hunters you know, there's definitely a, a drive or a drumbeat out there. Like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had like a simple field test that a hunter could use and get an answer, and get an right, answer away. right on site? So that kind of research is also being um, conducted right now by those two partner states. Yeah, and I'd say overall, there's just been a really big upswell in, in CWD research going on in the Midwest. Right, all these research projects have. You know, that started, it started with that Southwest study four years ago. Mm. And then all the other projects that you've identified have either grown, you know, from that study as identifying other research interests or needs. And then, you know, in addition to that, just, you know, working with um, across the, the Midwest and the nation, identifying other priority needs that we have here in Wisconsin that can help. And so all of these projects that Dan just summarized are literally like in their infancy. 
Yeah. And they've just begun. So the fact that he was able to run through a list of that many projects right. and have those come online in such a short period of time, I think is a pretty exciting time Absolutely. for Wisconsin. That Southwest uh, Southwest Wisconsin CWD, Deer, and Predator Study. It's mm-hmm. a mouthful. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about a um, little bit more about it. Where are we at with it right now? Yeah, so we are um, just ramping up for our fourth and final year of winter deer capture and, and collaring. So the, the, main, the main question here is looking at um, is how does impact, how does CWD impact the survival of deer? So, okay, we know that the disease is always fatal. We know from Western studies, studies that have been done on deer, um, white-tailed deer, mule deer and elk in Wyoming and Colorado, that the disease indeed reduces survival and impacts population growth. Um, so we can speak about those generally, but I think in order for us to really have um, a good, accurate, uh, quality story to be able to talk to our, you know, tell our tell our stakeholders, we need to have our own information. Um, for instance, yes, the disease is always fatal, but there's a big latency time. So it doesn't, it's not like rabies or, e, or EHD where it would kill them quick. It takes a year and a half. Right. right. And in, in the intervening time, I mean, there's all these other competing risks, particularly hunting. And that's one area where our state differs from a lot of those Western states is we have more hunting. And so it's reasonable to say, well, how much does it really impact some mortality here? And then in regards to, okay, so let's say we document a certain impact on mortality. Well, what is that? How does that translate into population growth potential? Um, another big difference between our deer herd and the Western deer herds is our deer herd is more productive. We have our, our mama deer have more baby deer every year. And so that, that matters. And so we need to understand what's going on for our deer. So how do we do that? Well, we go out and collar a bunch of deer, essentially. Collaring deer is not a new thing. Lots of trial and error, like what's the proper size and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And in fact, our buck collars um, expand and contract. They've got an elastic piece because a buck's neck will grow um, quite a bit during the rut. So we need a collar that can grow with the deer's neck. And then when the deer's neck, when the buck's neck goes back down, it can contract along with it. And then the same thing with fawns. So we collar fawns um, every spring, newborn fawns. Well, you know, they weigh five, eight pounds, right? right? And so the collars got to grow with the deer. Um, and they do. And they're el- so they're elastic. They've got um, folds stitched into the collar so that folds will, um, the stitching will break and the, basically the collar grows with the deer. So what we do, you do is you collar the deer and then you monitor them through time and see what their fates are, right? Um, with our adult deer, they're GPS collared, which is really fantastic. And so it's just as if the deer was walking around with a Garmin and just giving it, you know, pressing the button, getting a location on itself every so often. And we can program that so so we can switch how often the locations are gotten and then when when and if and when the an animal dies um the collar essentially tells us we got an email and a text message and then we go find the deer um, and so we can try to to determine um, how it died an important part of the study is when we catch the deer in winter time we take um a tissue sample it, it's called the uh, we call it the ram malt that's the term rect I'm probably going to get this wrong, rectoanal mucosal <laughs> lymphoid tissue. Okay. Um, so prions for sure aggregate in the lymph tissue, all right. So there is some in the rectum. So, and this is a, a well-known sort of method, is you can take a little bit of tissue about the size of a penny from the rectum. Um, it's highly vascular, meaning it'll heal really quick. Um, you take it, 
and we can send those samples in and get them tested for chronic wasting disease. So then we'll have a good indication while the deer is alive, whether it has chronic wasting disease or not. And then of course, whenever an animal dies, we test it again. Um, and so then what that allows us to do is compare the survival of deer that have the disease versus deer that don't have the disease. And that's how we get that. That difference in survival rate, that's the key here mm-hmm. in understanding how chronic wasting disease affects deer. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, we'd be interested in, in how it affects, like, how they die. Are they, well, are they more likely to, what, get hit by a car or um, harvested by a hunter or die of some other disease or starvation or, or whatever? And so that's sort of the, the very basic part of this, of this study. And so, so far we've put about 550 GPS collars on deer. Okay. We've got one more year, like I said, and so hopefully, hopefully we'll be up to about 750 GPS collar deer by the time we're done. We've collared about 300 newborn deer, um, and then next spring will be our last year. So hopefully, end up with 400 um, newborn deer collared. And then you got to put all that information of survival at different ages, and then also like reproduction rates, and you put mm-hmm. that into a big population model. And you know how? All right, so you kind of crank through that all those different rates. All right. And then at different prevalence levels, what's the population growth rates? Because you basically want to know at what, like how, as prevalence grows, how does the, how does CWD mortality chip away at that population growth rate? And so this is sort of important stuff. I think it's, it's important for us to be able to have, like I said, an accurate story to tell Mm -hmm. Um, more than generalities, not just like, well, yeah, we know the disease kills deer. Yeah. Well, we know it's probably, if it does that, probably going to reduce the deer population eventually. It's probably going to, um, you know, reduce your sustainable harvest. But just saying that in general terms isn't really good enough. Um, right. In a, in a, you know, at some point, it's probably not the case now, but at some point it very well could be the case that in making antlerless quota decisions, like how many antlerless tags should there be, the impact of chronic wasting disease might be, you might want to consider that, Right. If the impact of the disease is strong and if if the goal is to maintain a deer population, then you might have to do that eventually. But even just, again, having setting reasonable and realistic expectations for hunters and the public about what is happening and what's going to happen. Another thing is um, the impact uh, of the disease on trophy opportunities. Hunters tend to want to have mature bucks. Big deer are good. Big deer are good. (laughs) They want to have mature bucks on the landscape. Well... What's the impact of that? More than just there's an impact, right? We want to be able to have a, have a good story to tell, an accurate story to tell about what's the reduction, reduction in trophy opportunity right. as, as CWD increases. So um, it's a big, big study, um, huge effort, um, but it's going to be very impactful. I think not just in Wisconsin, but I think in, across the right. country, yeah. Right. Are there any early findings or early results sure. that you have and, and kind of what do they mean for Wisconsin? Yeah, I mean, so we confirmed, I'd say, what we've done so far and and just just scratching the surface in terms of analysis because, you know, you can collect just scads and scads of data, but you, you have to analyze the data really right. before you know anything. And and. So we're because our data collection is not even done. We're only in the really infancy of our data analysis. Mm-hmm. But what we found so far is just a kind con- as a confirmation of what we would have expected is that um, CWD really does significantly reduce deer survival. 
That's sort of the big headline. Now, again, sort of, yeah, we, we would have figured that is the case. Um, again, but it's, n- it's not um, in a little way. It's in a big way. Uh, maybe, you know, reducing it to maybe half the survival, uh, the survival rate of, a, of the deer that don't have it. Um, what we want to get into in the future is not just like, all right, what's the average reduction survival across all deer? But really, it's important to be able to differentiate that by bucks and does and age as well. And so that's what we're, we're working towards. But that's the sort of the big headline that we've learned right now. And that's indisputable at this point. Sampling, does that come into this Southwest Wisconsin study, or is that just completely kind of maintained in its own separate study at this point? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so sampling has always been important. Um, surveillance, if right. you want to call it that. Um, it's been important. It's important without this study, but it also is necessary with the study to understand what, again, because we can relate survival as as it's affected by whether an individual deer has the disease or not but then to look at the aggregate population impact then you have to know what percentage of the population has the disease right so so you can't you can't understand the one you can't understand the whole picture without both so so surveillance is really important we say that every sample counts we ask that hunters help us submit those samples, go to a kiosk, submit your sample when, when you harvest a deer. How will we use this information in the management of deer and CWD moving forward? Well, that's the, the million-dollar question <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, obviously, we have a lot of data that we need to analyze. We're certainly going to be uh, eagerly awaiting the findings and conclusions. And then um, once that information is known, you know, we're certainly going to be having, for certain, there's going to be a lot of discussions and conversations ultimately may lead to some decisions. Um, those decisions are going to certainly be informed by um, working with our partners, external partners. We have citizen deer advisory councils that are um, help the agency provide recommendations to the agency on deer herd management in every county of the state. So um, we certainly can't say at this point in time what those decisions might be other than that there's going to be a public process for sure but i think we're going to be faced with some pretty challenging conversations and some pretty challenging decisions as dan has already foreshadowed with some of the results that have been analyzed so far you know we know that cwd is having an impact um, and causing mortality and so what does that mean and we also know that um you know, the disease is more prevalent in, in adult bucks than any other of the um, age or sex cohorts in the population. Difficult conversations potentially about buck harvest management and buck harvest strategies are certainly, I think, on the horizon. You mentioned that bucks we found have a likelihood of having it more often than does. Mm-hmm. Do we know why that is or what may contribute to that? Mm-hmm. We suspect we have some good hypotheses of, of why that is, and it's um, mostly probably behavioral. For one thing, bucks tend to use a larger area than does, and so if that's the case, they may just have greater exposure on that level. Um, it's how they interact socially with one another and how bucks interact socially with does during the breeding season. And then the other, another big one is um, the use of, of scrapes, um, ground scrapes. It's a behavior that bucks use especially in, you know, as the breeding season kicks in and they're um, licking branches, they're urinating and all these things, these um, things that give them potentially extra exposure. How can we as 
Wisconsinites, hunters, non-hunters, how can we help support this and this study specifically and any of the other research that's currently happening? Well, if you're if you're hunting in in the Southwest where the Southwest Deer Project is happening, and I we should have said it's it's primarily northern Iowa County. Um, there are collared deer in Grant County and Dane County as well. But if you are hunting in there and you know you see a collared deer, what we would we we're trying to communicate to hunters is sort of make your harvest decision ignoring the collar, right? We want we want our the, the chance that a collar deer gets harvested, we want that to represent what the, the overall chances of a deer in the population get harvested and how that would happen accurately is if people are ignoring the collar. And so we just encourage folks to try to have that not factor in, the, in their harvest decision. And then if they do harvest a collar deer, all, all they got to do is call the number. There's a f- little phone number written on the collar. All they got to do is fo- call the number. One of our um, staff members will come out, just retrieve the collar and... and Hopefully, hopefully, um, get a get a postmortem test, get a you know tested for CWD at that point. But, but that's the main thing. Yeah, and, and we have a remarkable data set here in Wisconsin. Yeah. Over two hundred and twenty thousand deer have world. been sampled. So I would just encourage you know hunters to have their deer sampled. So for sampling. Um, it's free for a hunter to get their deer sampled, correct? Yes, that's correct. All right. So after they submit it, how long does it take for them to get the results? The average right now is around 12 days, and that includes weekends. So it's a pretty quick turnaround. We've continued to look at that turnaround time and make process improvements where we can. Um, That is uh, ongoing, but it's a pretty darn good turnaround time when we're looking at the volume of samples that we're receiving this year, we have a projection of 21,000 samples, which is um, we haven't had that many samples since like 2004. So, and to have still maintain a 12-day turnaround time when back in 2004 it was like 95 days, something yeah. like that, because <laughs> back then it was um, you know head collection and and movement of heads to a central location and. Now we have much more refined, efficient methodologies, and we're taking tissue samples out in the field, or right. even when we are getting heads, we're just much more efficient. Mm-hmm. All right, so I've waited my 12 days, and I get a positive back. Mm-hmm. Now what? So if it's, it depends on, if this is, say, your first, and you would get uh, a notification, and then um, there's also uh, a replacement tag that gets issued. So we have a system in place where... Um, we know, um, even if it's the first time or say it's a multiple, this is your third or fourth positive animal, regardless, um, we will issue replacement tags. And so that's something that's automatically done. And uh, so that's another component of what happens next. And then uh, additionally, there's generally a conversation that occurs um, either proactively by the agency if it's your first time or maybe um, opportunistically by the hunter if it's been multiple times. You know, they have to make a decision on what what are they going to do with that carcass. Certainly, uh, that's a personal decision as to whether or not you want to retain the carcass or if you want to dispose of it. But ultimately, in the end, it you know, it's, that carcass should be, if it is ultimately not consumed, which is not advised um, by human health professional organizations, so including our Department of Health Services, all the national organizations. There's a consumption advisory to not consume the meat of a CWD-positive animal, Mm -hmm. even though there's no evidence that humans can get CWD through the consumption of CWD-positive meat. It's still uh, not encouraged because 
who knows what the future holds. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the most conservative approach that a hunter can take. But we know that hunters still do consume positive meat knowingly. You know, right. they, they are making decisions to still retain and consume the meat. But that is a personal choice. Right. Let's talk just a little bit more about the composting project because I think this could have really cool implications for the state. Okay. So it's a uh, we have, and I'm sure there are individuals listening to this podcast have there's potentially members of the audience that have encountered challenges with disposing of their of their deer carcass mm-hmm. waste. Um, whether you're a deer hunter and do your home processing or you might be a meat processor or a taxidermist and maybe you're having a hard time finding a hauler. Um, mm-hmm. we, we know that we have um, waste management companies in Wisconsin as well as other states that are making consci- conscious decisions to not accept deer carcass waste. And so that's Posing increasing challenges. And right. so um, what we're hoping to do with this composting research is maybe uh, provide another alternative, another pathway for dis- disposal of deer carcass waste, and that's through composting. And as Dan indicated, if we are, and there has been research that's been done in Canada, and so we're ultimately looking to replicate this research, which is why we went down this track, because we really want to see, well, will it work in Wisconsin? and with our soils and our environment and mm-hmm. so forth. And so um, in the end, if this, if this composting study is successful, um, we would then look to take this information and ultimately um, develop some type of best management practices or something along those lines is what we're envisioning that we can then share with um, individual like counties uh, individual counties are dealing with deer carcass waste on a regular basis, picking up that roadkill and what have you. And so um, it could even be an opportunity, too, for deer hunters, however. You know, bring your deer carcass waste to compost X location mm-hmm. um, is, is, is the vision in the long run. And so if we can develop best management practices that can be replicated by these county organizations and waste companies, even landfills, um, you know, right now, accepting the raw material is giving them concern, but accepting material that's got a denatured prion in it now is probably going to be something that would be more palatable. Right. So ultimately, in the end, we believe that this has, I guess it provides great promise for another, uh, another um, methodology for disposal of deer carcass waste in our right. state. Right. So potentially for hunters who are experiencing kind of those headaches of finding what do I do with this mm-hmm. so I don't just leave it on the landscape, mm-hmm. potentially offering more options for that. Exactly. Very cool. To learn more about CWD and ongoing CWD research happening here in Wisconsin, visit dnr.wi.gov and search for CWD. We'll be back in two weeks with more Inside Voices on Wisconsin's Outdoors. Until then, catch up on old episodes and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review your favorite podcast player today. Thanks for listening.